is Your Working Life, a podcast that provides you with tools, inspiration, and resources so you can enjoy your career and love your life. I'm Caroline Dowd-Higgins. I'm a speaker, a career and executive coach, and today I welcome back Devorah Zach to the show. Devorah, welcome. I'm so thrilled to have you back on the show. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be back with you. You know, last time we had an incredible conversation about the power of single tasking, but today we're going to talk about the power of networking, and you're going to debunk some of those age-old networking myths and tell us how we can change the rules to customize and make networking really a valuable resource for us. So let's let's dive right in. You have this, this brand new book that's newly released called Networking for People Who Hate Networking. And that title alone is so powerful to so many. As a career coach, I just see people cringe when I talk about networking. And you argue that the traditional rules of networking don't apply to everyone. For example, introverts and, and those who just aren't comfortable in those big uh, meeting scenarios. So walk us through what's What's the premise for this book and and why do the old rules of networking not apply? The old rules of networking along the lines of more is more, get out there as much as possible, constant contact, only work for about 15% of the general population. That's very strong extroverts. For the rest of us, introverts, moderate to slight extroverts, and the group I call centroverts, those right in the middle, uh, makes the rest of us want to run and hide, (laughs) crash and burn, because it doesn't fit with our temperaments and our personality styles. So my new version of networking has people take a self-assessment, and there's one in the book, to understand where they are on the introvert-extrovert spectrum, and then learn how to accept and work with rather than fight against their natural temperament. So you never again have to put yourself in a situation that feels unnatural to you, like walking up to a group of strangers at a, in a ballroom crowded with people spearing cheese saying, hi, I'm Devorah, nice to meet you, because that might not feel comfortable or natural. Instead, I teach techniques that work with people's individual styles. You know, I love that. And the spearing cheese just made me smile. I know we're on a podcast, but I'm just grinning because that's such a a relatable image to all of us. And, you know, I am an extrovert, but sometimes I even cringe at those scenarios because they seem so inauthentic, right? And I would much rather have deeper dive conversations with fewer people than just to work the room. So, So let's take it a step further, right? There is this long history of being misunderstood, whether you're an introvert or an extrovert. So why is that? Because I love the assessment that you have in the book that really help people self-reflect. Well, the, the, the thinking is, is that introverts somehow are less successful, less confident, can't speak up in front of a group, uh, low energy. All of that is absolutely not true. And then there's also thoughts that extroverts are self-centered or loud or um, inconsiderate. None of that's true either. There's really only three actual differences that define introversion, extroversion. One is that introverts think to talk and extroverts talk to think. Another is that introverts energize alone and extroverts energize with others. And the corollary to that one is that introverts generally prefer one-on-one interactions over group interactions. And the third is that introverts go deep, extroverts go wide. And that means that introverts prefer uh, more intense uh, depth of conversation, of interaction, of communication, relationships, and also interests and hobbies. And extroverts prefer more activity, more action, more stimuli. 
And that's it. Those are the differences. It, it, they really come to play in many, many ways that help us <laughs> misunderstand each other and can cause challenges. However, any other association is inaccurate and uh, nobody needs to be fixed. It drives me nuts when people say, oh, introverts, if you work really hard, then you can behave like an extrovert. That is not the goal. The goal is, is to work really hard at being who you are, accepting it and leveraging your natural strengths. Thank you for that. I'm so glad that you gave a global listening audience permission to be themselves. And I agree wholeheartedly. They're not broken. We're not broken. I'm not broken, right? It's about being authentic and comfortable in your own skin. But you've come up with this amazing third designation, the centrovert. And and that's new to me. So tell me more about that. Well, I created this uh, moniker for people who are in the middle of the introvert extrovert continuum. So that's important to understand right now that there's a spectrum, like picture a long line that people, the very strong extroverts are at one end, very strong introverts at the other end. The vast majority of us are somewhere in the middle. So we have a little bit of each in us. It just depends where we are um, in our introversion versus our extroversion. That said, we also have people who are very close to the middle and and they don't really identify with either a description of introverts or extroverts. So we call them now, or I call them now, centroverts. And centroverts are people who naturally can relate to either side without trying very hard. And so they're often very good at building coalitions and uh, managing conflict and creating connections for people because they are right there in the middle. Awesome. Thank you for that. Excellent new term. I love it. So Deborah, how does cognitive science play a role in how we interact and behave with others? Well, we have these beliefs about people and things in the world. For example, cognitive dissonance comes into play. And that means that if I think that I categorize certain people in a particular way and they go against my categorizations in my mind, that something's wrong with those people instead of I need to rethink how I relate to different people. For example, uh, people often make this connotation that introverts are somehow insecure. So if I meet someone who's an introvert and they are very secure and confident, but they don't want to hang out with us after work or they don't network um, at every single event that passes by our office, then I think that person must be a snobby extrovert who thinks they're better than the rest of us because I don't have anywhere in my brain to put the information that someone might be a confident introvert who's managing her energy by taking time out and not always socializing. So instead, I can reframe the way I interact with people by understanding that, you know, there's confident introverts. And if they're not hanging out with us all the time after work or every lunchtime, that means they're just taking care of themselves and doing what they need to do in order to be on when it's needed. This is such a powerful message because often the inaccurate myths about uh, personality can can be debilitating for relationships, right? And we get into that mind reader game. So again, thank you for the clarity. I think it really helps. And I see it play a role in personal relationships as well as professional relationships. Would you agree? Absolutely. I get <laughs> when I lead seminars or do keynotes. A lot of times when I have the Q and A, plenty of people ask questions about their significant other or their kids or, or their friends. So it, it's really human nature. So you can use this information and these techniques in any. Any part of your life, professional or personal, which is really wonderful. 
I agree. So Devorah, networking has certainly changed in the digital age, right? We are so social media driven. There's a lot of social media noise out there. But is socializing digitally the same as as building rapport with with people face to face? It is not the same. So you're right. We are in a very digital age and, and it makes sense to be savvy in whatever field you're in to be able to be on board with what the current version of networking is. And it changes so fast that by the time someone listens to this, it might have changed again. That said, there's no replacement for face-to-face interactions because you get all the nonverbals, you get all the um, tone. uh, People build rapport in a very different way in person than they do online. And so if you're saying, well, I'm going to do my networking this week and, and you friend five more people on Facebook and make new LinkedIn connections, that is not, you're not finished. (laughs) That's not the end of your networking. It doesn't replace that time that you spend interacting one-on-one in person with other people. And, you know, I see a shift. I see it coming full circle because even our uh, younger professionals, our millennials and our emerging Gen Zs who are just getting into the workforce now, they're so, they're digital natives, right? We've, we've heard that term. Uh, they're craving connection. And, and I don't know that it's as gratifying and satisfying to just have the virtual relationship. So I'm seeing a shift, slight as it may be, it's coming. That's right. And this does tie in, you mentioned my book, Single Tasking, that you spoke to me about a couple years ago, it definitely ties in because we get overwhelmed with technology and it can actually hurt us rather than help us. And there's plenty of wonderful things about technology that we can use to our advantage. However, we are craving, like you said, in all different generations, going back to speaking in person and getting to know each other in that old fashioned way of sitting down together and having a cup of coffee. Absolutely. Devorah, we'll be right back after a quick break. Your working life is powered by your stories. We want to hear more from our listeners about your experiences in the workplace. Tell us what challenges you've overcome or tips you've learned along the way. And even better, if you don't have the answers, let us know what issues you want to learn more about. We want this podcast to serve you in all of your career and life needs. Send me an email at caroline at carolinedoubthiggins.com. I'm fascinated about the modern day job search and um, networking has changed. And when I think of interviewing and informational interviewing and the way to connect with people before you actually go to the interview, what are you seeing as the trends and what's your advice in modern day networking? Well, many companies and organizations want to do the first round of interviews virtually. So we need to prepare ourselves for that and not fight against that, but accept that that might be the first round of how we interact with people. So be prepared. It's very important that you are clear about what time you're supposed to be online uh, and what time zone that is and how you log in and do you have the software you need for it preloaded and also research who you're going to be meeting with, the person, the individual, something about them that you might be able to um, mention in the interview that shows that you've done your research um, and also the organization, the company. And That is the first phase for many organizations, like I said. However, many interviews are in person. And a lot of us, especially the younger generations, may not be prepared for that either in terms of how they're dressed and they've done their research for that. I I tell an example in my new book 
about how a person went to meet some guys that he was interviewing with and he ordered a Pepsi and seems innocent enough. And everyone kind of looked around the table and it turned out Coke was their big client. And it was just totally uncool for Norton Pepsi. So, so you want to make sure you know about the company, not just that you want a job. Similarly, when people are applying um, to graduate schools or undergraduate institutions, uh, to show that you know about that school, about that university, not that you just want to get a degree. It really resonates with interviewers when you care about them and know about them as opposed to just are promoting who you are. So I have a question because I work with a lot of uh, more senior uh, job searchers, right? Perhaps those going through a career reinvention or a career shift. They're not necessarily rookies uh, fresh out of university. And often they say when they're conducting those informational interviews, it might start online via LinkedIn or email. People are, are reticent to actually meet face to face because they're so busy. So how do you take that digital conversation and and try to make it face-to-face dealing with people that just have hectic, busy lives. Is there a, a secret secret weapon there? There is, and that is to make it as easy as possible for the person you want to meet with to say yes. Uh, so you want to be as accommodating as possible and, again, show that you've done your research. So if you want to meet, and I get requests all the time, people that want to pick my brain about this or that. So it makes a big difference if they say, okay, can I love to take you out to lunch? That is asking too much. It sounds like you're being generous, but in fact, that's a big chunk out of someone's day. If instead, if you really want to go for it, you say, how about I could stop by your office and have 10 minutes? I have some really specific questions. I'd love to meet with you if you can spare 10 minutes uh, and let me know a time that works for you. I love that. That's awesome advice. And even the busiest professional can handle 10 minutes. And it puts the onus on the person researching to be succinct and focused and direct. That's right. So let's talk about follow-up because you and I both know that it's worthless to network if you don't follow up. So help us understand that process because there's really an art to follow up. Sure thing. So to start with, I'd like to say that I've met lots of extroverts in particular that say, I love to network um, and I'm really good at it. I can talk to anyone about anything. And to this, I replied, that's, that's great. That's a skill to be able to talk to anyone about anything. But that is not correlated with quality networking because the way you tell if you've, you're a great network or not is what you do the next day or two, how you follow up. If you're not following up, you're not networking. So let me just say that again. <laughs> if you're not following up, you're, you're just hanging out with people having a good time that night. If that's your goal, that's fine. However, if your goal is to network, then what really matters is what happens after the event. Do you follow up in a meaningful way? Do you follow up quickly? Because we tend to forget half of what we hear within 48 hours. So you might be really inspired by a certain person you met and really think you hit it off. But a couple days later, you'll barely remember who each other was. You won't remember whose business card it is at the bottom of your briefcase that that goes with that person. So you really want to be sure that you follow up within a couple of days. And also not generic general follow up if you're at a big industry conference and you've met 20 or 30 people and you send them this blind carbon copy of it was lovely meeting you. That's kind of just a waste of time. Really, it's a better use of your time if there's two or three people that you really connected with and you send individual follow up. Now, one more thing about follow-up is that you can give yourself a really great gift at the networking event that will help improve your follow-up tremendously. And that is, after you've met someone that you really resonated with you, and it won't be everyone, just a few people is fine, then 
right after you part ways with them in the conversation, take the, the business card they gave you and write down on the front of it a couple of hints, little the, the tidbits about them that will remind you, refresh your memory a couple of days later when you're following up who they were, what you talked about, something they might be interested in. So that's another tip. And finally, one more follow-up tip, I have a lot of follow-up tips, is, um, is to make sure that you are positioning yourself as someone helpful, not someone needy. So think when you're following up, how can I be useful or helpful to this person? Maybe connecting them to someone else they'd be interested in meeting or link to an article that reflected something you discussed. So I love the follow-ups. That's juicy and fantastic. So let me ask though, what's the medium? Because I get pushback from so many professionals that say, yeah, the handwritten note, nobody does that anymore. It's antiquated. I'm going to email them. And and I'm of the mind that it depends on the audience, right? I think you, you do have to be cognizant of who's receiving it, but that can distinguish you. That can set you apart. Am I old fashioned in my thought there? I consider handwritten notes a great way to follow up in certain situations. So not for everything. Um, but if you really want to stand out and something's important to you, send a handwritten note and you you will m make a bang for your buck. That doesn't mean at all that that's what you do all the time. Lots of times sending an email is, is great. Uh, sending a concise email that uh, is easy for them to respond to, not one that goes on for paragraphs. <laughs> Exactly. People have scroll fatigue, right? They don't want to have to scroll down. And a lot of people email. don't scroll down and they just respond to the first section and then it just kind of falls apart from there. So I think handwritten notes are when used appropriately, excellent strategies and just keep some note cards in your desk and some stamps and it takes the same amount of time as crafting a good email. So Devorah, let me share something that I hear a lot. People think that networking is shameless self-promotion, which makes people intimidated. How do you respond to that? So real networking is about building meaningful, mutually beneficial connections one person at a time. When people are engaged in shameless self-promotion, I hear that all the time too. That's not actually networking. Um, that's This goes back to why do so many people proclaim they hate networking and it's because they misunderstand what real networking is. Shameless self-promotion is just that in and of itself. Real networking is about connecting. So you want to connect rather than collect. It's not about collecting cards and collecting contacts that are superficial, but making deep connections. And that is a whole different ballgame in terms of real lasting connections. So it's a different way of interacting and it doesn't mean you're promoting yourself at all. It's showing a lot of interest in the other person, asking meaningful, thoughtful questions, uh, figuring out how you can help each other. Uh, because if you really believe in what you do, what you have to offer, then it's not about promoting yourself or your product. It's about helping people and hopefully they'll be able to help you too. That's a great sentiment. It really is a two-way street. And I think it's much more genuine when it's a conversation that um, offers value on both sides. I, I have a colleague who uh, is introverted and she said she just doesn't like those large networking events, but she makes it work for her and she has a one-person rule. So if she's forced, if you will, to be in that scenario, she will find one person with whom she can make a meaningful connection. And that's a great return on investment for her energy at that event. And I really appreciated her customized approach. I have a few tips for the, attending those big events, particularly if you're somebody who doesn't like them traditionally. And 
One is really counterintuitive. A lot of times when people don't like those events, they'll sort of procrastinate and show up midway through because they're dreading it. That is the worst thing you can do because you're setting yourself up for the exact situation that you don't like, which is walking into a crowded, noisy, loud room of people already engaged in conversation and you're not feeling connected to anyone. And then you might just decide to leave. So really what I suggest is being one of the first ones there. Show up a couple minutes earlier, right on time. There'll be only a few people. They won't already be in conversation. You have more chance for deeper connections. And then let yourself leave early. So that's an example of how you can make these things work for you. I, I would caution about your friend's strategy in terms of finding one person. Um, that's fine, but you don't want to sort of glom onto them for too long because people go to networking events to meet a lot of people. And as an introvert myself, I, I know exactly what she's talking about because when I meet someone I can connect to, I like, feel like that's my safety zone and I just want to hang out with that person. But really, if you love someone, set them free. After 10 minutes of conversation, <laughs> exchange kind of information and, and let them mingle with other people before your conversation runs dry. And a lot of times, as a follow-up to that, people will ask me, well, how do you end a conversation? Like, what if I'm stuck talking to someone? And it's really... There's a lot of ways to do that. I list a whole bunch of them in the book, but one way is just saying, hey, it's been lovely meeting you. I promised myself I'd circulate. Do you have a card? Or I'm sure you'd like to meet more people. It was great connecting with you. What a graceful exit. That is brilliant. And hey, thanks for the reframe. I'm certainly going to let my encourage my friend to listen to our podcast together because it may give her an opportunity to rethink her approach. That's awesome. Again, if you want to just meet one person, that's fine. Just um, even so, then you know you got to limit how long you hang out with them. Absolutely. So Deborah, as we wrap up, I want to pick your brain a little bit more because we have so many folks listening who are leaders and managers of other people. And I, I see it a lot out in, in real-time coaching where there's a rub with a manager who is leading a team with both introverts and extroverts. And they, they're troubled with, with how to honor the diversity of personality on a team. So any, any brief thoughts about how to approach that um, multifaceted personality depth on a team when you're the manager? Sure, I'll give one really concrete tip. And there's more in the book, but this is a good one to start with. So brainstorming. A lot of times managers will have meetings to brainstorm solutions to challenges that they face. And they'll say, okay, here's the problem we're facing and who has a suggestion or idea what comes into mind. And that is an inherently extrovert-centric activity because what you're really doing is asking people to talk to think, which is a, a fundamental premise of the extrovert mindset. And then so half the people or so will be engaging in the discussion and about half or so will not be. And so the manager might be thinking, oh, those people aren't interested. They're not interesting. They don't have anything important to say. They're not listening. They're, uh, any number of things that you might make up in your head about why people aren't participating in your brainstorming session. So there's a wonderful solution to this. All you need to do if you want to get as much input as possible from everyone, introverts and extroverts and centroverts, is to say, here's this challenge we're facing. I want us to, to think about it and talk about it. But first, let's just take a minute just to jot down some of your thoughts without talking, and then we'll discuss it as a group. And all it takes is literally a minute. And then the introverts, you'll be amazed. The same people who weren't participating in previous brainstorming sessions will be active participants. That is brilliant. I am so thrilled for that very practical, actionable advice. Devorah, I always enjoy speaking with you and I've learned so much today. Thanks so much for joining me on the podcast. My pleasure. 
So I want to tell everybody about your second edition of your book, Networking for People Who Hate Networking. Love that title. It is hot off the presses and available on Amazon and major book retailers. And I hope our global listening audience will check it out. And to all of you tuning in today, if you like the show, subscribe on iTunes or SoundCloud. And even better, leave us a review because this helps people find us online. And let us know what career-minded issues you would like for me to feature on a future show. You can find me on Twitter at C. Dowd Higgins. And a special thanks to my podcast colleagues, Laura Deck, Executive Director of Publicity and Communications, and Claire McInerney, Executive Producer. Thanks for making this show awesome for our global audience. I'm Caroline Dowd Higgins. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.